Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our Sir, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast. As the announcer guy said, my name is Dave. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. And by the way, if you like your own podcast, is what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Go to pod617.com. You can find out how to get started. You could be producing your podcast here in our Westwood studios at a safe social distance, or you could be at home. We'll send you a quality USB mic. We do all kinds of stuff remotely, so check it out. So today, quite a treat for me and for him. (laughs) My friend Scott Katz is in the house. I've known him for a long time. You'll probably be able to tell from the tenor and flow of our conversation. But uh, more importantly, he is with a company now that is not only innovative, not only interesting, but fun. The name of the company is Power of Purpose, also known as POP. And per their own website, they are here to start a revolution in fundraising, one that focuses not just on philanthropic impact, but also on recognizing and empowering the awesomeness in every child. And now you experience the awesomeness of Scott Katz. Yes. How's that for an intro? I don't get that at home, Dave. (laughs) No, your daughters don't salute you that way. Uh, my daughters, my wife, my mother, nobody salutes me that way. Except <laughs> you. So I love being here with you. Do they call you Pop? No? They do not. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear that so much anymore. My, my son has taken, my younger son has taken to calling me Pops. And I actually like it. I like, it's kind of old school. What do your kids call you? Uh, dad, daddy, or words I can't say on TV. <laughs> get up and get me an ice cream is what they call you yes so um scott and i used to work together at lawyers weekly and um uh mr katz is an attorney and but mr katz like me has morphed his career into something new and different tell me about power of purpose do i just call it pop is it okay you can call it pop Sure. Okay. <laughs> tell me, so what, what it, I know the story, but I want you to tell our listeners it's, sure. um, it's a way of replacing tired, old, dare I say, even boring fundra- fundraising methods with something new and cool. So, so tell us, and, and we're not even going to talk about the pandemic yet. So tell us in general, sort of what the concept of the company is. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Deb. So uh, what we do is we try and replace the tired experience of selling products. You know, it's not the, uh, the fifties anymore where kids are wandering the neighborhoods. It's usually you and I, the moms and dads, uh, selling, you know, to friends and family and coworkers. Um, so what we've tried to do is provide an experience so that we inspire and uplift kids. That's our, our mission always to inspire and uplift kids to use their awesomeness. We use the a word a lot. Awesome. (laughs) Use their awesomeness to help their schools, their community, and inspire others to use their awesomeness. So, so yeah, go ahead. Tell me more. So what we do is we provide an experience. It's, it's all about the experience. We're trying to motivate kids to participate. The, the biggest problem in fundraising in schools, and we do K through eight schools right now, uh, is that kids don't want to do it. They're not interested. They're not motivated. And that's why the national average on fundraising for schools is only 17% participation. Mm. Our programs average 50% plus. Right now, we're in some schools, we're getting 70, 80. One school, we're over 90. Mm. So it's, it's motivating kids to participate and getting them to feel like they're part of what's going on and uh, treating kids 
you know, like the way they want to be treated, not as babies. And it's, you're not, as you said, you're not selling Girl Scout cookies or candy bars or magazine subscriptions. I was, I was shocked. It was, this is probably going back 12 years. There was a kid just walking around our neighborhood. And at first I thought he was lost. This is like a suburban development and he was selling magazine subscriptions. I was like, you still do that? Um, for charity, I think. I, at least yeah. I think it was for charity. <laughs> he said it was for charity. <laughs> anyway, so what what have you replaced when you say experience? What kind of stuff you're talking about? So what we do is we our, our primary program is called Step It Up, and what we do is we bring that experience, what we call a day of awesomeness. That's literally what we call it to the schools and the kids. That is their big reward. We bring a day of awesomeness to the schools for the kids to participate. We have it outside. We bring inflatables based on American Ninja Warrior and Wipeout, the two TV shows. Nice. And we have seven to nine different inflatables. There's no bouncy houses and no bungee cords. So <laughs> right. devices. Mm-hmm. So it's not your, your backyard uh, bounce around. These are, you know, 65 to 135 feet long, 14 to 16 feet high. Um, it's single lane. So chuckleheads like you and I as kids couldn't <laughs> smack heads as we're running through them. Right. It's own lane. It's an obstacle course. You're running through it. For those kids that aren't into that particular thing, and most are, uh, we also have what we call interactives. There might be, you know, like an axe throw on the Velcro board or soccer darts. It's a huge soccer dart that you kick a soccer ball and trying to hit the target or basketball toss or, you know, things like that. Human twister, human foosball. Uh, we bring in Wait a minute. Uh, human foosball, human. Fo- so human foosball, Dave, you, so, you go into, yeah. you go onto the inflatable on the bars, like right. three per bar and you're going left and right, kicking the soccer ball with a goal. Oh, okay. Cool. So you're the player. That's cool. Yeah. Um, we have a DJ dance party. You would love that. I know your, your DJ skills, but Hell yeah. um, yep. the kids have a lot of fun. And, and for the, you know, what we have been doing is we bring a, when we can a shaved ice truck, Kona ice, Mm-hmm. My personal favorite, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's just a blast. I mean, I, there's not a day that we do one of those that uh, I don't come home just, you know, as Pete Carroll would say, jacked and pumped. Just <laughs> so right. And uh, you know, I've had kids come up and say it's like the best day of their life. I have parents that are there as volunteers asking if they can go in the inflatables. It's just a lot of fun. And you are employed by schools, public schools, private schools, any schools. So we, uh, we work with any schools, K through eight, at least for now, we're, we're, with the pandemic, we're sort of testing other things with older kids, but K through eight schools, and that could be religious schools, charter schools, private schools, uh, but our, our bread and butter is public schools. And while it happens to work extremely well with elementary schools, and they're a lot of fun, I mean, who doesn't love little kids having a blast? Yeah. We really have built the program geared towards middle schools. I'd say 75% nationally of our business is middle schools, hmm. which is the hardest to fundraise for. And so, you know, I, I used to, as you alluded to, I used to DJ weddings and bar mitzvahs. And um, in doing the bar mitzvahs, if you've been to one, folks, then um, God bless you. Um, no, pun in, no pun intended. But it's... Um, it's a chore to get the kids to do anything. I mean, it's some bar mitzvahs you might have kids like, you know, we were trying to do stuff like trivia and that game called Coke and Pepsi where the kids run like schmucks back and forth. <laughs> so I don't even remember how to play actually, but, but, yeah. but uh, you know, they, they did like Coke and Pepsi, but it was, it was hard. Sometimes you get the kids that are just, they, they're too cool for school, right? They're sitting on the side you know, in, in recent years, they're on their devices and stuff like that. And do you find that most kids respond to this and they get into it right away? Yeah. So we bring hula hoops and we have uh, ring pops that we give out to the kids that are more motivated and start things off. Um, what in my personal experience, I know it's different around the country. I have colleagues around the country that, you know, really, really are talented uh, DJs and party goers. Uh, for me, what I found is there's usually a handful of girls that start hula hooping and okay. want the pop or just want to dance with themselves, not Billy Idol, but dance with themselves. Yeah. And occasionally a teacher will kind of join in. And then there's always like a boy or two that kind of wants attention with the girls. And then the other boys are sort of hanging around, sort of making fun of that guy until yep. they see that the girls are paying attention. And then the next thing you know, you get everybody dancing. Yeah. It's pretty fun. And then by the end, they're like, oh, you know, don't, don't stop. So. 
Yeah, it's, it's clever. Yeah. Go it's ahead. Fun. Yeah, yeah it's, no, uh, it's just been fun. Uh, the kids call it FOMO, fear of missing out. So you got to figure out how to tap <laughs> into that. If they think it's cool, then they'll do it. It's a weird psyche. The adult version of it is I've noticed in if you're in a line of cars and there's a, a homeless person who's asking for some change. I think they've even done studies. If the first person in the line of cars drops a couple quarters in, then every car after them will follow suit. If the first one doesn't, then everyone else has permission to, to give nothing. Uh, I, <laughs> I noticed this when we, I used to collect money for the American Heart Association in college that very way. And, um, but it's cool that you can capitalize on the, the fun of it. So, um, and the kids get, something at the end they they're, they're actually prizes or anything like that or how does that work there are we actually do it a little differently we reward kids for participation that's mm-hmm. how we get them motivated and so that we come in in a perfect world we come in for a live virtual kickoff at the, you know uh, not virtual as we know it now but literally in person kickoff right. in school we bring everything the the speakers the the I have a 10 foot blow up screen uh the laptop, the prizes, we bring everything. You are quite the schlepper. Yes. Yes. We I minimize <laughs> the work for the school and right. for the for the PTO or PTA. Uh, when we were growing up, it was PTA. Now it's all PTO, but uh, hmm. maybe we're sold. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, we like to say, you know, 90% less work for them, 100% more fun for the kids. So we, we bring it all. We reward the kids. I think what separates us from most fundraisers or frankly, any fundraiser that I've seen other than us is if the kids participate to that minimum level that we set, if they send 10 or more email messages out or, or cellular phone number, you know, the text, they send 10 or more messages. We reward them with three prizes, three rewards, Mm -hmm. just participating. They haven't raised a penny yet. And we also do a drawing that first day, uh, in an elementary school, it's for an iPad and for a middle Mm -hmm. school pair of AirPods. Mm -hmm. haven't raised any money yet. And then we do what we call our week of wow, where we have drawings for mini fridges that hold six cans of soda, mm-hmm. but we stuff it with cash. So mm-hmm. we take, you know, roughly $25 in ones, make them into balls and that fits perfectly. And the kids go bonkers when I open that little mini fridge door and the cash is falling out. It's like <laughs> them. Yeah. It's you're, you're Bob Barker. Uh, so we do four of those and the mini fridges now are coming with Bluetooth speakers built in. So there's, it's really, uh, it's pretty cool. It really is. The kids really, really like it. I'm impressed that you, with your enthusiasm for it because I know Scott Katz, and in the past, Scott Katz, it, don't take this the wrong way. You're not necessarily <laughs> a joiner. You're a, you're, a, uh, you're a contrarian. And so to hear you pumped up about this means it must be something cool. Can you rem- you're, you know, you as you said, you're on the front lines in between flatable, inflatables, you know, um, getting, <laughs> getting kids jacked up. Can you remember any moments where you, you kind of said, wow, this is cool, like something a kid said to you or anything like that? I absolutely can. I won't tell you the school name just for, you know, just not yeah. to shine on them too much. But it was in Somerset, Mass., and it was an elementary school. And it was kind of a last-minute sale, really. I went down there expecting sort of a, you know, to pitch everything. And I think before I had three sentences out, they were on board. They just really wanted something. They had had a few things not work, and they really needed something quickly. And this was last fall and it was late October. So the weather was starting to turn a little bit. We were crossing our fingers and it was just an amazing day. And at the end, when I was packing up, in most cases, schools don't have the kids have recess in addition to this day of awesomeness. That's kind of their recess. This school let them, you know, to their credit. Mm. And I was packing everything up a little kid. And I know he was a second grader. I remember that. And I know that he had not earned his way into the prize tent. So he might have gotten the rewards for participating, but in actual raising money, he didn't hit a level to get additional stuff. I know that as well. And he came running up to me and he went, Scott, Scott. I went, yeah, how you doing? He goes, this was the greatest day of my life. Thanks for coming. And he ran away. That was the entire <laughs> But it was just awesome. It mm-hmm. was great. That's that's excellent. And the, the, the website is... Pop, uh, I had it on my screen a minute ago, and now it's gone. It's um, Pop Four Kids, right? Pop, yep. uh, Pop the numeral four. So Pop Four Kids dot com. Wicked easy yep. to remember. Check it out. There's, a, there's some fun videos on there. It it just is really different. I the, the thing I usually love the most when I'm talking to schools or 
or administrators or PTOs or, or people like yourself did is that people usually are like, it sounds too good to be true. Where's, what's the catch? What's the rub? Why, you know, what do you guys get? And um, I love those questions because we have, you know, there's no strings. This is, it is what it is. We're very transparent um, on, on every angle for everyone to see. And we don't build the school. They don't pay us. It's self-sustaining. Um, it's, uh, you know, our cut is you 10%. Take, okay. So there you go. So you're, yeah, yeah. I, I would presume you just take a commission of that. How much money can a school raise with something like this? So my biggest school last year was a middle school and it had about 650 kids and they raised literally just under $49,000. Most raised previously was about 25. Mm-hmm. We um, pretty much break records every school we go into. That ain't no, uh, that ain't no bake sale right there. No, uh, no. My smallest school to give you sort of the flip side, my smallest school was an elementary school in Connecticut. I sort of handle all of new England. We did a elementary school in Connecticut that had, just around or just under 300 kids, and they were over 27,000. Mm-hmm. And um, so I do have to ask you the question. Things have changed, sure. of course. You, you, you can't do the uh, outdoor, haven't been able to do the outdoor events this year, I presume. Not in this part of the country. Okay. Not in this part of the country. The, the redder the state, the more relaxed they are. I have some colleagues that are physically into schools. We are not able to do that here. Right. That, yeah, we ain't red. So, so, so you have pivoted into some virtual stuff? Yeah. So we have uh, three virtual options. What we do for Step It Up, what we're doing is we're doing a virtual, 100% virtual kickoff where it's done by Zoom or, you know, some sort of product like that. Um, whether the kids are in school or at home, we're able to do that. And then we have the day of awesomeness in the spring, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two focal programs right now are called Steam Engine and Game On. Those are without a day of awesomeness. There's no event that's attached. We don't even get into it with the kids because you don't want to pull the rug out from under them. It's literally just a two-week, all the fundraisers are two weeks, all virtual, even step it up. Mm -hmm. Two-week fundraiser, and we kick 10% back uh, in the form for Steam Engine. It's for Steam-related products. So based on what they earn, they get 10% of the gross and they get a code, and we have a, a partner company we work with called Thames and Cosmos, and the STEAM teachers can go on and shop for products in STEAM-related field. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mon is the same thing. It's just PE-related. So one is funding STEAM, one is funding PE. So people can book this now, right? So if people are on the PTO, they're on the school committee, or what have you, these are the people yep. that should be looking you up? Absolutely. Yeah. Or teachers or, you know, just a parent that thinks it's cool and can get, you know, get somebody to, to respond at the school. Um, they certainly have their hands full, but we're starting to see in the last couple of weeks is here as schools have reopened in some capacity, mm. we're seeing a response well, and they need the money. Yeah. Know? In a way, is it not uh, an opportunity for you guys? Because why not try something different this year when we're yearning for something to lift our spirits. And, you know, the, 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 I don't need to tell you, you got school age kids. The, I, I'm, and I don't even have school age kids anymore. My youngest is 18, but I keep hearing about how the, the hybrid method is, is a disaster and the teachers are really scrambling to keep up with all this. I, I, I think it's hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my younger one is 16. She went back to school in person for the first day today, actually. She's oh. been on online for the last week or two. Um, knock on wood for her, it's been okay. It's frustrating, obviously. You don't want to see your kids frustrated. And uh, But I, I, I want to add, and I think my whole company supports this, we're really supportive of the teachers and the schools. Um, they're our partners. They're not our clients, even though you know the, there is that relationship. We're trying to build something with them ongoing. It's not a one, you know, wham, bam, thank you, man, kind of thing. We're, right. we're trying to build something together and we want to support those schools. A lot of, if not most of the teachers are parents themselves. Mm. It's gut-wrenching to talk to them and hear like what they're going through and what they're dealing with. And, you know, we'll, nobody is more supportive of the teachers and principals than we are. I, I tip my hat to them. I, I couldn't do what they do. Um, I get a lot of thanks from them. They couldn't do what I do. That's why there's, you know, the makes the world go around, but they're awesome. 
super supportive. They get really into it. When we have principals that are fun and really engaged in getting into it, it there's nothing like it. I, I can tell you one quick story if that's sure. okay. Do it. So one of my colleagues, um, the principal got really into it and the kids were all learning from home. It was all virtual. And there was a little girl who won the iPad in that first day. And the principal, I believe it's Florida, the principal, the girl's homeroom teacher, and um, a secretary to video it, drove to the girl's house and delivered the iPad to this little girl. It was nice. Nice. Awesome. This girl was like over the moon that her teacher came and it's just, they missed that interaction. Both sides, teachers missing kids and the kids missing teachers. It's, it was really inspiring and fun to see. That belongs on uh, John Krasinski's now defunct web show, Some Good News, which was excellent. <laughs> did you catch any of that? No? I did not. Oh, I did well, not. You can go back and watch them. They're on YouTube. He just started. It was just, this is kind of lovably low-budge project called Some Good News, and but it blossomed, and all kinds of clips of videos of just cool stuff happening despite everything that's happening. Um, and it sounds like you guys deliver a lot of those moments, which is awesome. Again, it's pop4kids.com. Use the numeral pop, pop4kids.com. Find out more and get, you know, make some noise up at the school. The kids are bumming out about this and that. Here's something they can be excited about. We're going to, uh, Scott Katz is both a huge sports guy and a huge music guy. So we're going to do some sports and music. We're going to do it, uh, an edition of burning questions. And then, um, uh, Katz purports to be the, uh, foremost, uh, Bruce Springsteen authority on the Eastern Seaboard, and, and, and uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Outside of New Jersey, maybe. Um, and we have a special deep dive into Bruce coming up. So that's what you have to look forward to for the rest of this program, kids. For a moment, though, I want to tell you about what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go. If you want your own podcast, now is a perfect time to start it up. We can do the whole thing remotely, so we'll send you a quality USB mic to get you started. Produce the whole thing, soup to nuts. Even if your podcast is about soup and nuts, which I don't know where you would go with that, but I like soup and I like nuts, and we can throw the whole kit and caboodle in there for you. I have a few more cliches I have to use before the spot is over. Now I think I'll wrap it up. Pod617.com, get your own podcast. The Boston Podcast Network in pod we trust. All right, we're going to get into some sports, and we're going to do a round of the segment we like to call Burning Questions. Just one more thing. I have a riddle for you. Answer the question. All right. This is the Boston Podcast, a series of Boston sports questions. They might not all be Boston, I guess, for the great Scott Katz. Katzman, if you had to select one title of the three major sports, I am cruelly leaving out hockey. Sorry, hockey, uh, hockey Krishnas. Um, Red Sox, Celtics, Pats, of all the titles we've collected Pick one from each that was your favorite. Uh, it's since the Sox re- recently got eliminated from the playoffs. Let's uh, let's start with them. Your favorite title? Uh, well, it's hard to beat 04. Um, with so if many- that's your pick, that's your pick. But you know, I don't know if yeah. it's, some of the others might have sentimental reasons why you might like yeah, it. 04 just uh, you know put so many ghosts to rest and to mm-hmm. bed. And where were uh, where were you when? Um, Folk flipped the ball to Minkiewicz. I was at home. I was, uh, I'm pretty sure I was done with law school. So I was at home mm. uh, watching TV with my wife. And uh, one daughter was uh, either asleep or had been woken up by screaming. So <laughs> <laughs> Some people used to wake their kids. There were stories about um, parents waking their kids up in 1986 when the Red Sox were one out away from World Series. Those kids have been uh, traumatized for life after how that one turned out. How about uh, yes. how about the Pats? Um, the twenty-eight-three is what comes to mind in my head. I vividly remember the first one. It was wait, which huge, which one did you say? Things, the two thousand three. When we came, the, yeah, we came back from the twenty-eight. Oh, twenty-eight-two-three. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's just an embarrassment of riches when you think about the fact that you could actually make an argument. That the twenty-eight to three comeback was not uh, was not the best of the Pats lot. I mean, many would argue that it is, but right. I mean, the Malcolm Butler play was completely insane, and then the first one was 
ups, and the one of the biggest upsets. I think the sigus, second biggest upset in Super Bowl history. We, we're not going to talk about the the first one. I mean, when when we were kids, Dave, you know, we had the Celtics, right? We had right. Bird and the Celtics, and I remember the seventy Celtics a little bit too with the championships. Mm. But that was really it. You know, that the other right. teams competitive here and there, but that was it. My dot, my older daughter is going to be twenty, and she's seen fifteen parades. Yeah, <laughs> I know you it's know, ridiculous. Know. I remember it's insane. they have they have no clue what we went through is I mean it's, right yeah and the Patriots I mean I used to still go to the games when the Pats were two and 14 and sit on the cold aluminum benches because it was a football my, game yeah <laughs> my my Patriots uh friends or fans and uh friends around the country that don't like the Patriots who just like to complain about it have no idea what we went through I, I have a, a really good friend of mine John who's in New York City uh, works there, and he has been a Patriots fan since we were little kids when nobody was a Patriots fan. Right. That was his sport. And he literally, when he was, uh, when they were still before Parcells, you know, 1 in 15, the Rod Rust years, all these things, he was in New York City trying to find a sports bar that would put the Patriots games on. Mm. And nobody would. And he would call a particular bar and try to use a different accent <laughs> to try and get them like this popularity, like five or six people. <laughs> for the game and they finally were like listen kid we know it's you stop calling (laughs) (laughs) yeah i remember in the in the 90s i was in new york for something and wanted to see the pats game and so went to a sports bar and there are all these big screen tvs and there was like a little like 18 incher like in the corner that they put the (laughs) patriots game on and i remember i rooted for i might have no it was bledsoe in the final game against the Dolphins of a season in which I think we finished like six and ten or something but the Patriots won and I've never been happier which is weird we used to root for those things I mean I went I remember going bonkers when Bledsoe got us into the playoffs for the first time in forever and now it's like well we made the playoffs yeah big deal they were uh, so bad for so long. Yep. The, the same guy when he was in the guy from New York when he was in school mm. he would call me because the game he couldn't see the game but I would get it locally sometimes, and I would literally do like a replay by play to <laughs> the phone, and uh, that went on until his parents got the long distance bill back when that was a thing. <laughs> wow, you, that that could have developed into a career for you as a broadcaster, just calling it to your friend. Um, that should be a service. That should well, we don't need yeah. it anymore, but that should right. be. Yeah, I have a, I actually have a buddy now who um, the games are either blocked or he has he has some issues getting them in Detroit and he has some cockamamie scheme where he gets on a zoom call and resets his location to some place where you can get the game for free and then gets his friends all on that zoom call because it's football we need something how about the how about the Celtics favorite title of the Celtics the one I, I just can't get out of my head is 86 to me that was the greatest team I I think I've ever seen. Um, and you remember who was the MVP of uh, Game Seven of the Finals? Oh wait, I'm I'm getting it mixed up. I think I was the answer to my question was going to be Cedric Maxwell, but I think that I might know have been that 84. was your favorite. I, I remember you taking the picture with him. And you wanted yeah. to climb his back, and he looked at you like you were crazy. But yeah, yeah, and then he, yeah, Cedric <laughs> Maxwell. I had a chance to take a picture with him. I said, "Remember when you said climb on my back?" Max, well, climb on my back for this picture. He said, no. And so <laughs> I said, just pretend. He goes, okay, I'll, we'll just pretend. And he kind of <laughs> pretended. And it was a great photo. And he raised a, a bony f- forefinger as a number one signal. And then as, <laughs> as I was walking away, he said, you know, actually, that was very clever. And so I said, thanks, Max. Um, yeah, 86. So we ended up beating the Rockets in the finals in 86. But you're right. That, w- that was the, was that the Bill Walton year? Yeah, I want to say that yep. was the year we got Bill Walton. Yep. I remember being at the first exhibition game because back then, if you could get into a Celtic, any kind of Celtics game, you would go. Went to a Celtics exhibition game, saw Walton introduced for the first time, and the place went bonkers. I mean, well, he's Bill Walton, of course. Yeah. All right, a couple more questions here. Um, who was the big? Who was the biggest nutcase out of Terry Glenn, Carl Everett, John Papelbon, or pick your Boston sports star nut job? I think that's easily Carl Everett. I mean, uh, he was he was a few French fries short of a Happy Meal. <laughs> you know, he was not all there. Yeah, he. I rem- you remember when he um, he got tossed out of a game on Family Day? It was like that. I was watching that game. Yeah, yep. 
And you could see it happening. I was watching. I'm like, he's going to go. He's going to go. There he goes. Yeah. <laughs> just lost it and was never the same after that in Boston. He really wasn't. Yeah. And he was such a talented player before yeah. that. I mean, he just couldn't handle it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of knew it, it wasn't going to end well when he admitted to a reporter that he believed dinosaurs never existed. Right. <laughs> so you remember what Shaughnessy started calling him? No. Jurassic Carl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Your, um, you can name more than one if you want to, but who's your favorite or underrated Boston sports star? Or to phrase it differently, sort of the guy that you love that maybe not, not everybody else loves. Like Tom Brady, not eligible. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you can you could go through different sports for those things. I mean, to me, Terry O'Reilly. I don't want to sound like Happy Gilmore, but Terry O'Reilly <laughs> was is just the quintessential Bruin. I had the fortune to meet him at a legal marketing event in a prior life. Yeah, and he could not have been a nicer guy. They say hockey had, players are the nicest, I guess. The nicest. But yeah. Terry Riley yeah. was just, he's so big. He's so nice. He's so def- self-deprecating. Um, and just a good guy when you hear the different things he did for charity. Not just him, but the team and how they looked at it. And just, uh, he's still the guy I, I think of the most. Yeah. Uh, Te- that category. O'Reilly was great. And he was kind of larger than life back when he was in his heyday. Bruin, the, there is this stuff in hockey that happens that actually, I mean, I, I, I don't love hockey. It's probably the least of my favorite sports. But what's cool about it is it, there's something about it, it that's a little more laid back than the rest of the sports. And they do stuff that others don't. The Bruins have, I don't know if they still have it. I hope they do. But an alumni team, a like barnstorming alumni team, you know about this? You can hire them for, for charity. And so I went to a game and it was for the um let's see i think it was for the boston bearcats which is a team of kids with special needs some adults too with with special needs that would play and i forget what the cause sorry i can't remember what cause it was we raised money for but anyway this team would play the bruins team and because of what of sort of the nature of everything you had um parents playing as, as well so playing against a team of, of, of Bruins and many of which you've heard like Rick Middleton and some others that I'm going to forget, but there were, there were some pretty big names. Uh, since I can't play hockey, my friend, <laughs> my friend Pete, um, who was a captain at Canton high Pete Gordon, shout out. He agreed to play in my stead. And so Pete Gordon is playing against these Bruins and he's loving it. He's playing against some of his boyhood heroes. And by the way, all they asked for a fee is, is, a couple of cases of beer in the locker room, which I think they drank prior to the game. <laughs> but anyway, um, Jay Miller was on the ice. Now, if you remember Jay Miller, but he was, Oh yes. It, would it be fair to call him a goon? Uh, Goonish. He would care for that name, but well, yeah. Right. An enforcer, an yeah. enforcer. An enforcer. He's a yeah. tough guy. And so my, yeah. Very. My buddy Pete is like uh, 165 pounds soaking wet, and he's uh, he's a diminutive guy, Pete, and um, but he's fast, and he and because this is a show and it's an exhibition, it's for charity. Guys are hamming things up, and so Miller is playing the role of the enforcer, and he's he's kind of giving Pete the business in the corner, and he's giving him a little shove here and there, and Pete's giving it right back to him. My little guy Pete is like checking Jay Miller, checking Jay Miller. To the, to the point where Pete's retaliation came so much that Jay Miller was like, screw it, threw the biggest hit on, on Pete I've seen in a, in a nice, friendly hockey game. Pete goes flying through the air and, and like crashes against the boards. Thank God he got up because it could have killed him, but it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, you did very well in Burning Questions, Scott Katz. And, Thank um, you. We're up against the clock a little bit here, but we promised Bruce, so we, we got to give him Bruce Katz, and, and this is what I had in mind. Um, and the leading question, uh, what was the greatest uh, Super Bowl halftime show of all time? Say it. Uh, it, it Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. <laughs> well, that's the correct answer. Um, yeah. Give him a thing for that. Wait, oh, that like, that. like to correct one thing before, when you said oh. that I, I've never claimed to be the, uh, the end-all, be-all of Bruce and the Eastern Seaboard, I, most of my friends just sort of feel that that's my role and come to me for these things. I get literally two to three texts or emails a day about something Bruce related that they think they're finding that I've never seen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sad to sad on their end when I say, thanks, I've seen this 
two days ago, a week ago, a year ago, et cetera. But, You're an yeah. immense fan. You're an immense fan. Very big and fan. And I think the reason it was on my mind is I recently downloaded Bruce's autobiography on, uh, you know, what the hell do you call that when you listen to a book? Audio book, right. Book on tape? Book on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you read it? I'm sure you have. I read it in three days. Of course you did. That's the other thing I remember about you is you you consume books like uh, some kind of uh, book-eating creature. Um, My record in a year is 100. That's crazy. That's insane. Um, so I did, now I take it you read it in print, the Bruce book. I read it in print, but uh, one of my best friends, ironically, the rabbi who married my wife and I, Neil Zuckerman from uh, Park Avenue Synagogue. Shout mm. out to Zucks. Um, Zuck, he... He got it down. He read it and then he got it uh, the way you did. And Bruce is the narrator. That's he, right. So I'm very tempted. If my wife isn't aware of what I spend, I might do that, but um, probably not. <laughs> well, so it's, it's, uh, it's got its pros and cons. It's great to hear Bruce's voice and it's great that he, it would have not had the luster at all if it was just some random person reading it Be mainly because of bruce it's bruce springsteen's voice it's a national treasure right right the only thing is it's it's very if i had time i would do a parody of it because even bruce i think himself would admit it's it's ripe for parody because read in his voice there's a lot of um i guess flowery prose especially in the first few chapters you know back in the streets in my town <laughs> Sometimes I got sent down to get my dad from the bar, the waft of stale beer. What he doesn't have a southern accent. What am I doing? It, no, he, he does have a little bit of that. It's it's it, that's what's kind of interesting. He's yeah. New Jersey, but he's got a little bit of a twang. Right. So. It's a rock and roll twang, I guess. Yeah. But it's uh it is enjoyable. So I was thinking of that and thinking of football it being the time of year and so what we're going to do is watch portions of the uh, listeners. You will hear it, which is the most important part of the halftime show. And Scott Katz will, will pro provide commentary when asked. So uh, Katzman, <laughs> in, in, I'll, uh, I'll call upon you when I want your opinion on certain things. And we'll do sort of play by play of this uh, revisiting this halftime show from 2009. The National Football League presents... The Bridgestone Super Bowl 43 halftime. I should make sure you can see and hear that, right, Katzman? I can. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Show. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the heart stopping, fun loving, hard rocking, booty shaking, love making, Super Bowl quaking, history making, legendary E Street Band? It's a reminder of how long it was that those players who did the intro, many of whom are not in the game. Although, I guess Larry Fitzgerald and Big Ben were in there. So here comes Bruce. Now, when you first saw this Cats man, what did you think? He looks great? Oh, yeah. Because not, have, some halftime shows fall flat. Were your hopes high? I was very nervous that uh, I'd have to say I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I have confidence Bruce will pull it off. He takes everything pretty seriously and does it with everything he's got so right. I, I knew it'd be great for me i was hoping it would be great for others watching right Is there anybody alive out there? Is there anybody alive out there? now i'm just a casual bruce fan but i have actually become quite enamored with his what i would call shtick because so is that a shtick that he does at every concert is everybody alive out there he's been doing that since uh he did a song called radio nowhere and one of the lines in the beginning is or part of the chorus is is there anybody alive out there and from that time forward he's been using that so you know way too much about him i i i, I rest my case so i now, would say that as you're watching this in 2009 he was just or about to be 60 years old. Amazing. Amazing! Good Lord, I thought I was old. That's eight years older than I am right now. That's crazy. It's insane. So, he's working the crowd. He's... Now, I, I, I actually think, or like to think, that he wasn't lip-syncing, because almost every halftime performance he was. Do you remember... Whether that was he a thing, he was not. He was definitely not lip syncing. Oh, good. Okay. 
I, after all these years of advances of technology, they still have they still have certain bands lip sync, which drives me up the wall. One, so, one thing you might notice also, and I, I enjoy this thoroughly, is you'll notice there's no earpiece for Bruce or, yeah. or you know, he's one of the last rock or, or singers that doesn't use that, you know, fake sound coming in and out. What you hear is what you get. That's him. Yeah, and I, and I don't know how he does that because I, for my 50th birthday party, I grabbed a guitar and quote-unquote performed with a buddy of mine at, at, a, at a party, my party, and... Um, one of the things I noticed is it's we didn't have a super professional setup. It's hard to hear what the audience is hearing. You're not necessarily hearing what the audience is hearing, and so I don't know how he keeps the whole thing in sync, but it's just pretty flawless. Let's um, we're going to jump ahead a little bit here. Sure. So, of course, he goes to his signature song, Born to Run. Now, yep. I've always wondered, someone like you, who knows every Springsteen song forward and backward, do you still enjoy something like Born to Run? I do, because live in the shows, it's pretty much you're at the concert, the lights are down, you know, the spotlights come on or whatever it is. But whenever Born to Run starts, as soon as that first note hits, all the house lights come up. You can yep. see everybody in the arena or in the stadium, or wherever you are, and it's surreal, and uh, it's it's a highlight every time. I think for a little while he was not trying to run away with, from it, but he would perform it acoustic and try to change it up. And now he just yep. sort of embraces that. You know, you know, everybody wants to hear it, and it's his signature song, even though he's got a zillion others. Yep. Um, and it's it, you know, it's it's a highlight of the show still. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever saw Bruce live was an acoustic show, and. Um, uh, Deserts and Donuts and Dust. Or so. What was that called, Cats? What was it called? De- Devils and Dust. Devils and Dust. I had one. I won for three. Um, and uh, it was not a good way to see Bruce the first time. Let's just put it that way. It was kind of a, a downer. It was kind of meant to be. It was It was so melancholy. And then a yeah. few years later, I saw him do The, the River. And, um, and that was a tour where he would do every song from that album, The River. But then he would go into like his you know, 12 other greatest songs. And it was freaking amazing. It was freaking amazing. So let's hear the close of this. Bruce is doing the Pete Townsend style arm wave or circular arm wave. There are fireworks going off, and it's just. Um, <laughs> what is? Do you have a favorite Bruce Springsteen song? It's uh, Cats. Favorite song? Yeah. So over the years, I've had some favorites that come in and out. My, you know, to to borrow a Seinfeld reference, my white whale. Yeah. The song I looked for that I never saw on concert was a song called Frankie, which was an outtake in the '80s. It didn't make an album until he put it on a, an album called Tracks recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally saw Frankie at Fenway Park, and I've seen it nice. twice since then. And it was... Uh, you must have felt like he was playing it for you. Wanted. I did feel it. And it was <laughs> funny. I was with uh, a buddy of mine, Scott Schuster, who you know as well. We yep. go to a lot of shows together. And his white whale was he wanted to hear the 1978 version of Prove It All Night. There's a specific musical intro to that mm. that uh, he only played on that tour. And he did Frankie... And then went into that song, so we each got our white whales wow. back to back at the same show while we were standing next to each other. It was, it was awesome. That, there's nothing like that when you hear a deep cut because you, you do that you adore and you and you look around and nobody else cares, but that's okay because you care so much. I, I remember right. seeing Billy Joel at Fenway and he played a song called "All for Lena," which is about this. It's about a p- pathetic guy obsessed. I love it. With a girl. Yeah, you know that yeah. song, right? Yep. So. I think that was probably my white whale for Billy Joel because I don't recall him ever playing that. You know, the song from Glass Houses in 1980, and here it is. You know, you know, four almost 40 years later, and I saw him, and he he pulls out All for Lena. So I'm going nuts, yeah. like yeah! Everyone else is looking at me like uh, we don't know the song. Um, so for Frankie, I mean, I waited almost 27 years to hear it, so yeah. it was yeah. a big deal for me. So by the way, the the song he just did, he, he had an entire choir with him um, and I don't know how we pulled that off but it, of course it all sounded great. Now he's going into glory days. Listen a little bit here. I had a friend 
So, of course, he changes the lyrics to adapt it to football because it's the yes. Super Bowl halftime. I, I personally think Bruce is, is a nice... Embraces the sort of sticky things like that, but, but doesn't go so far as to make you be like... Ugh. Do right. you do you still love all of his shtick and his little catchphrases and all that? Um, well, I'll, I do, but I'll put it this way. when When you see him one night, it's fun. Yep. When you see him four nights in a row in the same place, and it's the, and you know that the jokes are the same, the songs are different, but yep. the jokes and the shtick for certain songs are the same. It can wear on you a little bit. I remember there <laughs> right. was one time where I saw him like I don't know five or six times in a seven day or eight day period, and I was kind of like, I might need a night off, and I <laughs> I, I couldn't believe I, I felt that way. But right. um, it's never I've never felt that way since. Put it that way. But yeah, um, you know every tour there's a song that he sort of makes longer and that's the part where he does shtick and introduces yep. the band and changes it around and that grows on you a little bit yep. but um the rest of it i mean from one night to the next he might play you know 18 different songs i mean it's just it's insane right so i agree and it 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 reminds me of i saw green day and they did a thing where they would call a kid on stage who could from the crowd who could play guitar and they played along and I was telling somebody about it I go it was so cool they pulled this kid up and the person was like yeah he does that at every show I was like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) now I do want to play a little bit of Glory Days here because he does two things first he calls Stevie Van Zandt up to um, share the microphone with him did Scott Scott Katz did Bruce Springsteen invent that (laughs) because he seems to embrace it more than anybody else (laughs) I don't think so, Dave. But yeah. <laughs> he Our, does um, embrace it, and yeah. Stevie loves to ham it up with him. So, absolutely, and of course, you, you people will remember Steve Van Zandt for this band. But if you didn't realize, he also played Silvio on The Sopranos. He said he had the two greatest jobs in history, and uh, it's hard to argue with that. Um, uh, one of our mutually uh, adored writers, Bill Simmons, cats once said that there should be an SNL skit where Bruce Springsteen interrupts everybody talking in a microphone by leaning in and singing with them. You know, like <laughs> like like you know, at at speaking engagements and temple and church, all of a sudden Springsteen is there. But now, do you remember the the sort of mild controversy about the amount of time the band was going to play? Yeah, they're supposed to play just at or under 15 minutes, maybe 14, 5, you know, something like that. And I think he went like 15 minutes and 20 right. seconds or he went over on purpose. He goes over at every show, right. uh, wherever there's a curfew. I mean, in, in London, they pulled the plug and he had McCart- Paul McCartney on stage when they pulled the plug on Bruce and one of the Beatles because he went after the curfew. Good Lord. That's exactly why rules were made to be bent. But so, right, he went into this halftime performance with this sort of mild controversy that he wanted to play longer. And um, he plays on that with, with uh, little Steven here, and I'll, I'll play the whole chapter and verse coming up. Referee comes out onto the stage and throws a flag. Time is it? It's boss time. There you have it. And there you have it. And the other thing I love about this is, is this a thing with you or just with me? Some sometimes the end of songs played live is unsatisfying because there's no a lot of songs. The studio versions, at least in the old days. They just faded out. There was no natural end to it. Well, in concert, right. you, you can't fade it out. And so, therefore, sometimes it sounds kind of awkward, but Bruce just nails it. And um, we'll let you listen to that part. <laughs> that 
that that was perfect i mean come on did you not laugh when you said i'm going to disneyland i did and and to answer something that you alluded to earlier dave i was yeah. at sister's house uh with you know uh my nephews and and you know her extended family my family my parents everybody watching this game and when it ended her father-in-law who was not a fan turned to everyone and he just said now that was a halftime show yeah i mean and i said the same thing and um you know some people will point prince did an amazing one michael jackson when we were allowed to listen to michael jackson he did a pretty amazing one but I don't think anyone's matched up with that. And at the end, he says, you know, as the MVP of the Super Bowl says, you know, in the Disney commercial, I'm going to Disneyland. That it just, just so, just a perfect way to end it clever. And also, it's, it's, it's incorrect. Like you, the, the player has to say, I'm going to Disney World, right? But, and I thought, nah, so did he mess? Up? But you know what? He made the right decision. It sounds more rock and roll to say Disneyland for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember Oral Hershiser, when he won the MVP in the World Series, he kept saying uh, Disneyland instead of Disney World. They had to keep reshooting it as he was coming off the uh, field. So great picture. Maybe. Trivia. Yeah, exactly. Well, Scott Katz, um, thank you for, and I hope you enjoyed this this trip, including the Bruce and the, and the hey, hey, hey. Um, we, I thank you for indulging me. And let's not forget, uh, Scott's company, Power of Purpose, pop4kids.com. That's the numeral pop, pop4kids.com. Anything else you want to plug, Catsman? Tell people how to get in touch with you? or uh, Sure. You can reach me uh, by email at scott.cats at pop4kids.com. So it's S-C-O-T-T dot K-A-T-Z at P-O-P, the number four. KIDS.com. Hit him up if your school is interested in a fundraiser that brings out kids' awesomeness and is an awesome, awesome change of pace from the norm. Also, hit him up with every obscure Bruce Springsteen trivia question you can <laughs> think of. Thanks, Cats, man. Thank you, Dave. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast. If you like us, subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. And if you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com. I'm Dave. What's my name again? My name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. So on behalf of Scott Katz, if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Rock on! Rock on!